This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Bottom of page 88. Now it is known to those familiar with the hidden wisdom, example the Kabbalah, that the word of Hashem is referred to as the Shekhinah in the terminology of the Talmudic and Midrashic sages of blessed memory, and as Ima Tata, the Nebim mother, and Matru Nita, the queen, in the ter terminology of the Zohar. So you have many different terms, terminologies, many different adjectives for the same idea, the same shechina means that God is present, God reveals himself, the part of God that encloses himself and reveals himself internally. And then in the Zohar it's called the, the lower mother, because you have the higher mother, which refers to the sphere of Bina, the higher sphere, and this is like the lower mother. Or it's called the queen. Okay, and there are more, more uh, names and adjectives continue. Especially at the beginning of Parsha Vayer, where an analogy drawn to Hashem's speech from a princess. Because the word of Hashem dwells and vests itself in created beings to give them life. The word Shekhinah derives from the root to dwell. The titles of mother and queen relate to their functions of caring for the lives of their children and subjects, respectively. So it's all about relationship. Relationship to those outside of you. So when you say Hashem encloses Himself, it's because Hashem is revealing Himself to those who are, so to speak, outside of Him. Uh, you say a mother, mother takes care of her children, a queen. It's all about her relationship with her subjects. So this is the level of Malchus, which is the lowest level, which is the communication. And that's what he's going to say now in the language and the terminology of the Kabbalists. In the terminology of the Kabbalists, the word of Hashem is called Malchus, for the word of a king rules. A king rules his kingdom through his speech and, all, and also for other reasons known to those who are familiar with the hidden wisdom of Allah. The relationship of a king through his people, he rules his kingdom through his speech, words. It's all based on words. It's all based on words and communication. And that's really what speech is all about. Speech is essentially about the other person. You don't need speech for yourself. The whole essence of speech is your interaction, your relationship with someone outside of you. If you're living alone, if you're Robinson Crusoe, you don't need to speak. There's no one to speak to. And there's no need to speak. Speech is to communicate to someone who's completely outside of you. So it's all about communication, um, relationships. Again, relationships with those outside of you, the queen and her subjects. You're speaking, you're communicating to another human being. The mother taking care of her children. Hashem interacts, interfaces. This is where Hashem interfaces with, with the world, interacts with us on our level, reveals himself to us. So this is called a speech. This is called speech communication. Now it is known that there is a rank and level of the sphere of Malchut, of the world of Atzulet, and a rank of the sphere of Malchut, of the world of Berea, and so on. There are thus many degrees of Hashem's speech. So there are many, many levels of speech, and each world has its level of speech. It's communicating on that level. So the world of Atzilus, the level of Malchus, of royalty, or the lower mother, or Shechina, it's all different interchangeable names. The queen, communication, all of this, and royalty, and speech, it's all Hashem interacting 
and creating because we are the result of God's speech. We are God's speech. Creation is God's speech. Hashem speaks. You know, when we speak, there's someone to speak to. When God speaks, He has no one to talk to. It's His speech that creates someone to talk to. Creates an entity, a creative being that senses itself to be independent and senses itself to be apart from its source. So God's speech creates. When you say queen, the queen, that's the level, the attribute that creates the subject. When you say the lower mother, this is the mother that creates the children. This is the speech that creates the language. We are God's language. We are the lang- we are the, this is the God's language that creates an entity to whom he's speaking. It's God's relationship that's creating someone to have a relationship with. So we are the result of God's speech. We are God's speech. So every world has different levels of speech, different worlds. So in one world creates an entity that's a higher entity, much more spiritual entity. A lower world, our world, creates entities that are physical, our physical world. But each world, they're all creation, created beings. God created heaven and earth. Heaven is created just, as, just like earth is created. Heaven is also created. Spirituality is a creation just like earth is a creation. But the higher worlds create spiritual beings, spiritual entities, angels, and higher levels of consciousness, and higher beings. And the lower worlds creates the speech. God, the divine speech of the world of action, creates us, the physical world, the physical material world that we live in. So there are different levels of speech creating different, in different worlds, creating different realities, different entities, different parallel universes. The term that we think he's speaking to us, he's, he's create, creating us, he's not speaking to us. We don't, we don't hear. Right. His speech is creating us. It's a misnomer. Well, we, are, we are his speech, as God creates the whole world with his speech. Right in the beginning of the Torah. God spoke and it came into being. No, I understand that, so, but it's, we, take, we take it differently that he's speaking to us. It's, well, there's also that speech where God communicates to us, like he communicates to the prophets. Oh, there is such there a is such okay. a speech, yeah. God spoke at Mount Sinai and spoke to us, and God speaks to the prophets, and God spoke to Moshe. Hashem Moshe God spoke, and he's going he's to discuss. But the, the, the speech with which God creates the world, these are the attributes, this is the divine attributes that actually creates us. We are the language of God. Our being, our existence. Our being and our existence. Yeah. This is God's speech. This is God's language. So he has to speak to us continually or we go... He's constantly, he's constantly, right? Absolutely. He's constantly speaking. Constantly speaking. Malkut of Atilat means the word of Hashem which animates and brings to being the great souls that are of the rank of Atilat. Now, they're also entities. They're also, they're not God. They're souls, they're beings, they're spiritual beings, they're exalted beings, but they're beings separate from God. They're entities, they're not God. But they're on the level of Atsilas, like we learned in letter number 20. They're, they're, they're divine, they're connected to the divine. Their, their whole essence is godliness. So this is, they're the result, they're the created beings of the world of Atsilas. So they're created beings, they're not God. But they are in living. Where do they live? Where do they reside? In, in Atsilas, in, in a godly place. Their whole world, their whole reality is godliness. So you're talking about great souls, the greatest souls that ever lived. The soul of Adam, the soul of Moshe, the patriarch. You're talking about the greatest, holiest souls that ever lived. These are the souls of Atsilas. These are the souls of Atsilas. A Rebbe, a Rebbe is a soul of Atsilas. The Baal Shem Tev and the Magid and the Alter Rebbe and all the Rebbes until our Rebbe. These are souls of Atsilas. They're created beings. They're beings and not God. But they're exalted souls. They're the most sublime souls, the holiest souls. Their whole being, they live in a godly reality. I mean, Atsilas is not there. It's not like a... Uh, the fifth floor, the fourth floor up there. <laughs> it's right here. It's a level. 
when they live in this world, when they walk in this earth and they live in this world, where do they live? Their reality that they live and breathe is not our reality. We live money, power, fame, indulgence, pleasure. They live and breathe godliness. That's their life. That's their reality. That's what they see. They look around and what do they, what do they see? They're astounded and astonished and constantly inspired by Hashem. They see Hashem within everything and all around us and within us. And that's their reality. So they, where do they live? Where do they reside? They reside in the world of Atzillus, in the world of emanation. Yes, they're physical beings. They're, they're flesh and blood. They're born from a mother and a father and human beings. They're not God. But, but which, where do they reside? Where do they live? They live in the world of Atzillus. That's what they see. They see connections. That's what they see. So they are the product and the result of the communication of the world of Atzillus. So it's communication. God created the subject that's separate from him. The queen mother that creates a subject. The, the mother that creates a, has a child that's separate from the mother. The speech that has someone to speak to. Um, you know, relationship, communication, uh, royalty. There's, but yes, it's a separate subject. It's a soul, an entity. But it's in the world of Atzillus. It's a soul that's permeated with godliness. So that's, um, that's one level of communication. The soul of Adam, of whom it is said, and he blew into his nostrils the soul of life, i.e. a soul from the level of Atzillus. And such is the souls of the patriarchs and the prophets and the like. So God breathed himself into his nostrils, breathed from within himself. When you breathe, you breathe from within himself. Adam had a soul of the highest soul, the most exalted soul, the world of Atzillus. But he wasn't born in this world. Yeah, but he was a flesh... And blood. He was a piece born. of clay. Wasn't he wasn't born, but he was a piece of clay that God breathed into his nostrils and brought him to life. So he, was, he was the first, the father of all mankind. Who were truly a chariot unto Hashem and in a state of total self-abnegation in relation to him. Right. And that's what it means, Attilus. A, a soul of the level of Attilus is completely egoless. Yes, they're a soul and they're an independent entity, but they're completely egoless. It's hard for us to fathom. It's hard for us to imagine. Imagine being completely egoless. You wouldn't know what that looks like. Imagine completely egoless. People are so into their ego. People are so into their honor, into their covet, into their, you know, if they're slighted in the slightest bit, how dear you slighted my honor. I mean, they're so into themselves. And imagine a soul that's completely egoless. There's no I. Well, constantly thinking about Hashem. Those of us, many, including yourself, that have been by the Rebbe. Oh, the Rebbe is a soul of Attilus. Yes, absolutely. The Rebbe was a soul of the world of Attilus. You can see that. Not about himself, not about egos, no ego, not a shred of ego. It's no ego, no, no shtick, no, no, no. Very real, genuine, natural, real, 100%, yeah. 1,000%, 100% genuine. No ego, it's not about himself. It's all about Hashem and, and, and loving your fellow Yid like yourself, literally, literally caring, concerned, and caring, and loving. So this is, this is a, world, a soul of the world of Atsilas. It's not something that you and I, uh, we don't live in that world. <laughs> We can read about it, and we've seen it. Does every tzaddik live in that world, though? No, not in every tzaddik. That's what he said. Only special tzaddikim. This is from the higher tzaddikim. This is from the elite within the tzaddikim. This is Adam, the patriarchs, the matriarchs, Moses, some of the greatest prophets, the rabbis. This is, this is a different level. Different club. Different club. <laughs> different. It's a very exclusive Every soul, every Jewish soul is rooted in the world of Atsilas. We have a pintle yid, we have that spark, that selflessness, that ability to sacrifice ourselves for Hashem, the total devotion and dedication to Hashem. We all have that potential, we all have that spark, but it's just a potential, it's just a, a core, the essence, but it's, it's rooted, but it's not conscious. A soul of Atsilas is conscious. That's where he lives, he resides, that's his conscious life. 24-7, he's eating and he's drinking and he's sleeping and he's being intimate and he's doing business and yet what is, what is it all about? It's 100% about Hashem. There's no, there's no 
It's completely egoless. Beginning, middle, and end, it's all about Hashem. This is a chariot. A chariot is completely egoless. So they're an entity, it's a soul, but it's a chariot. It's completely connected and egoless. As our sages of blessed memory said, the Shekinah speaks from the throat of Moses. Moses' own personality was so translucent, he had so nullified himself to Hashem that when he prophesied, he did not re- relay what Hashem told him to say. Rather, the Shekinah itself spoke directly through his mouth. It's not only he was a messenger that God told him what to say, and he faithfully uh, repeated word for word what God told him to say. God spoke. He didn't even speak. It was a great Hasidic Rebbe, one of the few that Alter Rebbe actually quotes in the Kutit Torah and in his Hasidic discourses, one of the students of the Baal Shem, Rabbi Nochem Chernobyl. So he wrote a Sefer Hasidus, and um, I think he said that he only wrote the Torah that he said that he didn't even remember that he said it. In other words, it wasn't even him speaking. It was like, like Hashem was speaking. You know, if he was self-conscious and he remembered that he spoke, that's not uh, right. You know, when, when the Rebbe would say a Hasidic discourse, he would close his eyes, take out his handkerchief under the table, hold on to the handkerchief, close his eyes in intense con- concentration. It's like, almost like holding himself to this world because he was like in a different state. It's like a, a transmission. It's like Hashem is speaking through you. It's not even you speaking and you're just repeating. It's like Hashem is speaking. It's not, there's no ego. They're completely transparent. We tell a story with Alder Rebbe, the author of the letter, the author of the Tanya, that he once uh, was traveling with one of his closest Hasidim. I think it was Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Moshe Meiselish or Pinchas Rezes. And uh, they were coming to a town, and the Alter Rebbe says, I have to say a Hasidic discourse, but I don't have anything prepared. So Rabbi Moshe, or Rabbi Pinchas says, Why don't you say the Hasidic discourse you said in the last town? No one in this town was there, so you can say it. Alter Rebbe says, I said a Hasidic <laughs> discourse in this town? <laughs> Uh, this is a divine transmission. <laughs> Completely unselfconscious. <laughs> no, it's not like when some rabbis speak and, then <laughs> and they put a... <laughs> uh, but this is... Shechina medaberes mitar greinish from Moshe. Not he's, a, he's a relaying a message. Hashem is speaking. You hear a voice, but it's really Hashem speaking. Completely egoless. And this is true, he's going to say, not only of the level of the soul of Atzillus, even lower levels. Rabbi Yosef Karo, the contemporary of Darizal, he was the rabbi. It was a very interesting synagogue they had in Tzvat. Rabbi Yosef Karo was the rabbi. The chazan was the l'chadaydi, shleim al-kabetz. The, the Hasidic, I mean the Kabbalist, the spiritual leader was the Rabbi Moshe Kardaviro, and then the Arizal. The, the darshan was the alshich. <laughs> I mean, this was some silicon. You, know, you can imagine who the congregants were. I mean, this was the level of the, the students of the Arizal. And so Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote a whole sefer, a whole book. The malach, a malach, an angel would reveal himself to him. And he would speak, he would reveal things. When the, Arizal, when the Rabbi Yosef Karo would study Mishnayas Balpeh, he knew the whole Mishnayas Balpeh by, uh, by heart. He would say word for word the Mishnayas, and suddenly the angel, the guide, would appear to him and start speaking and revealing things. And he wrote a whole book of the revelations of this angel, the Torah that this angel taught him, and uh, the revelations. And, uh, and the expression is, I am the Mishnah that's speaking through you. Your mouth is speaking, but it's really it's the Mishnah that's speaking. It's the Torah that's speaking. It's not even you speaking. When you, when, this is the ultimate level of studying Torah. You learn Torah, you reach such a level that you know that the words of Torah are divine. So it's like Hashem is speaking. It's not your words. It's not just human words. These are divine words. 
that Hashem is speaking. Because you become so egoless and so unified with Hashem, with God, that Hashem is speaking. So you just can't do it. You just uh, you allow the Torah to flow. You allow the Hashem to speak through you. And likewise, all the prophets and those possessed of the Holy Spirit, the supernal voice and speech vested itself in the actual voice and speech, as Rabbi Isaac Luria, blessed memory, wrote. Not only the levels of the soul of Atzilus, even in lower levels, those who had divine inspiration. So it's not only that they got a message. The voice that spoke, it's not even their voice. It's like a voice, it just spoke. Where did it come from? I don't know. It just, it just came and it, it just said what needs to be said. And it was Hashem speaking through their voice. So you heard their voice, but really it was Hashem speaking. That's the, that's the ultimate meaning of divine inspiration. That what they're saying, it's not they're saying. It's not a human being that's saying. It, it's godly. It's godly. Hashem is speaking. Some godly communication. And that's why it's holy and, it, and it's, it's precise. It's not just that tzaddik says something. You know, it's accurate down to the, down to the T, crossing every I and dotting, I mean, dotting every I and crossing every T. It's down. It's Hashem. It's godliness. It's not just... It's not just approximations or a prophet, as Maimonides says, a prophet, any prophet. As he says, all the prophets, any prophet. What's the sign of genuine prophecy? The sign of genuine prophecy is that everything he says, he tells the future, and everything that he says comes true. If a prophet is 99.9% accurate, he's a false prophet, and you've got to kill him. God never spoke to him. He's a liar. Because if it's a genuine prophet and Hashem is speaking to him, Hashem is not 99.9% accurate. <laughs> Hashem is 100% accurate. It's not like, uh, you know, a psychic. He gets some things right, you know. He takes a guess. He, gets, he sees something, something, you know, approximately. But uh, a prophet, it's accurate. It's like a laser. It's because it's Hashem speaking. It's, it's not human. It's a divine. If it's divine, it's 100%. So all the prophets, and he says, even the Ruach HaKodesh, even those that's divine inspiration, this is holy stuff. This is divine. This is Hashem speaking through them. You heard a human voice, but it's really, it's, it's Hashem speaking through them. And because they were transparent. That's why they were vessels and vehicles for this transmission, for Hashem to reveal Himself through them. Not only to them, but through them. Hashem is revealing Himself, and they are communicating. Hashem is communicating to you through them. They just can do it. The less ego you have, ego is like static. Things that interfere with electricity, you know. But if then you have conduits that allow the electricity to flow. Ego is creates static. Ego blocks, stops the divine flow. The less ego ego there is the more transparent. Moshe was the ultimate prophet, the most humble person, completely egoless. Moshe was completely transparent. God spoke through him. The Torah was given through him. It's a whole different level. Prophecy. There's no prophet like Moshe never will be. He's the one who transmits the Torah because God speaks through him. Through him, the voice, you're hearing Moshe, but you're really hearing Hashem because he's completely egoless. He's totally transparent. A direct communication. Machar Bariah is the word of God which animates and brings into being the souls and angels in the world of Bariah, whose level is not like the level of Atzilut and so on. Yeah, it's not the level of Atzilut, but it's not bad. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good level also. Very high, uh, highest level of angels and very high souls. It's a good place to be. <laughs> it's Bariah, it's the beginning, the potential of existence. It's not even existence. It's more like a glint in the eye, a potential of existence. It's pure, still pure energy and pure potential and it's really godly. It's like, it's like a fish in water. The fish is swallowed up in its source. So the souls of the level of Bria are like souls and angels that are completely swallowed up in the source. They breathe the source. They sense the source. They sense Hashem. They live with Hashem. Their whole life is to be connected with Hashem. They yearn to connect. So this is a very high soul. So 
So these are the creatures and the entities that are created through the speech and communication of the world of Bria. Malkut of Yetzirah is at the level of divine speech that brings into being and animates the souls and angels in the world of Sira. So these are spiritual beings, but they're on a lower level in the world of Bria. These are like uh, compared to mammals that are not swallowed up in their source of life. They walk on the earth, in which they came from, in which they live from, but, but they're separate. So these are already angels and spiritual beings that feel, feel more, um, have a more prominent sense of separation, but still they're spiritual beings, ascension beings and spiritual beings, and their whole life is trying to connect with Hashem. So it's also okay. And then you have Malchus. Malchus is the word of God which animates and creates this world in its entirety. This physical world that we live in. Too. Up to and including the element of earth and the water that is below the earth. Now, if the creation of all things derives from the Shekinah, from the revelation of divine power, how do we account for those things that derive from Kulipat, entities that oppose Godliness and holiness? So the question is, even the lowest level, even the level of Atsiya, of action, our physical world, and even the lowest level of the physical world, which is earth, but ultimately, it's God's speech and God's communication. So everything is really connected. So how do we end up with a world that's so disconnected, that's so coarse and crass? And that's the antithesis of godliness. That's so egotistical. Because even something physical, but still, everything physical has a soul. Its whole being is is constantly being recreated through the divine speech. We are just God's language. So if matter is really energy, so if everything is really con so connected, how do we end up with a world and this physical world that's so disconnected? That's How's that possible? That's what Hashem gave us, though. That's the way... Yeah, but if Hashem is constantly speaking, and Hashem, and we are the, the result of God's shechina, and the lower the lower, uh, the queen, and the lower mother, and the God's speech, and relationship, and communication, and royalty. But in the world of action. So God is working through the world of action, and that's where the end result is this physical world. So fine, we get that. Just like in the world of action, you have different levels of life. You have different levels of energy. You have a human being, the highest form of life. And then you have animal life, and then you have organic life, and then you have earth and the stone, which is completely limited. There's no sign of life at all. So we too, we get that there are different levels. You have spiritual realms, and you have the world of Atsilas, the world of emanation, you have the world of creation, you have the world of formation, and that, until you have the world of action. So fine, we understand that. But even the lowest level, how can it be disconnected? If God is constantly speaking, and bringing us into existence, and we are God's language, how do you end up with a disconnect? Something went wrong. <laughs> how, how is that even possible? How could it happen? How does this happen? That's what he's going to address next. However, outside the land of Israel, the life force is bestowed by means of the word of Hashem, being invested within the extraneous patron angels that are appointed over the seven nations. A near spark from the word of Hashem, which is called Malchut Avasiyah, descends and radiates over the supernal patron angels by encompassing them from above. Patron angels. Every nation has an angel. The leaders of the nation feel and sense their patron angel. That's what, that's what gives them strength. When they speak in the name, the king of the country, the president of the country speaks in the name of his country, he feels a certain power. It's almost like a spiritual power. He feels the might. What he's sensing is the sense of his angel. Different countries have different angels. The greater countries have greater angels. But these angels, even though they're spiritual beings, but they're already, their separation is much more prominent. They're much more disconnected and sense themselves as independent entities. And that's the beginning of klipa. That's the beginning of the shell. That's the beginning of the disconnect. So even though the spark is divine, 
Because even the lowest level, the level of communication of the queen, of the mother, lower mother of speech and relationship, is the lowest, lowest level. The Shekhinah is the lowest, lowest level of the lowest world. But even that's holy. That's a holy spark. And it's still connected. But since it encloses itself in the, through these angels, the energy is transmitted through these angels, the host angels of these nation angels, therefore the divine light is dimmed, the divine light is covered up. And that's why we end up with a coarse, crass, materialistic world that feels completely disconnected. No sense of connection, no sense of something greater, higher, and they just become ends in themselves without a source, without just being in existence for the sake of existence. So this is the, uh, the godly spark being concealed and distorted. In a way, it's like a distortion. It's like you're distorting the light. You put it through a distorting lens and it distorts the light and it covers up in the light and distorts the light and you end up with a very distorted picture. Very discouraging. You know, it's like the, you know, those, in those carnivals you have the house of mirrors and you, have, you can take light and distort it in many different ways and you end up seeing a, a false picture. You take a, a person and all of a sudden you see a little midget. <laughs> you take a midget, you see a giant. See, we take a nothing and all of a sudden it becomes so big. The more than nothing, in this distorted lens, becomes a huge ego, a huge entity, which in reality is a nothing and a nobody. But in this distorted lens, you see a whole different reality. So something gets in the translation, the light is, is translated through this distortion, through the distorted lens, through the ministering angels, the patron angels, extraneous patron angels, which are no longer holy, then the other side, not the holy side, and therefore you get this very distorted lens and distorted picture. So you end up, the light is reflected in a very distorted way. So you end up in a very distorted world. Reality and truth is no longer clear. Everything becomes very fuzzy and very vague and very mixed up and we get a very... Uh, Wrong impression. From the patron angels, life force issues to the nations and to the cattle, beasts, and fowl that are in their lands, and to the physical world and the physical heavens, the spheres in which the stars orbit. However, there are distinctions between the various categories of created beasts. The heavens and the earth, and the cattle, beasts, and fowl that are pure, i.e. kosher, are nurtured by the Klipa Noga. There's no such thing as earth that's not, that's not kosher. Fruits and vegetables, yeah, there are some fruits that are not kosher. The first three years of a tree in Israel, the first three years of the fruit, you're not allowed to eat from those fruits outside the land of Israel. On the whole, fruits and vegetables are kosher. We can have poison, but they're kosher. But when it comes to animals, most animals are not kosher. Most birds are kosher. That's why the Torah enumerates all the non-kosher birds. The Torah only enumerates... The minority. The Torah lists kosher animals, only 10 kosher animals. In the whole animal kingdom, only 10 kosher animals. The Torah enumerates the kosher because they're very few, they're so few. But the Torah enumerates the non-kosher birds because mo most birds are kosher. So you have things in this physical world which are kosher. All kosher means is they're also coarse and crass and materialistic and physical. But they do have the potential to be elevated. Versus something that's not kosher means it's so coarse and so crass. And the crust is so thick. It's like superimposed concrete uh, 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 that even a bunker bomber can't, can't penetrate. His holiness can't penetrate. So therefore the Torah says it's off limits. You have to stay away from it. You can't eat it. You can't elevate it. You can't release the spark. So within clip itself, within the shell itself, within the distortion, you have two different levels of distortion. You have distortion which is not 100% distorted. If you look carefully, you can still make out the silhouette of the, uh, of the proper, and you can still redeem and elevate and figure out and get, the, get it correct, put it into focus, bring it back into focus. 
then there are certain distortions which are so distorted that you can't bring it into focus. It's, it's just too messed up. It's too confusing, too, too distorted. And that, the Torah says, is prohibited. Absolutely prohibited. You're not allowed to stay away from it. So these are the two, two, the two levels. There are distinctions between different categories. So the heavens and earth and the cattle and beasts of that are pure and kosher are nurtured by klipas nega, which is the klipa, the shell, the distortion, but it has some light, some light penetrating. Whereas the impure creatures and the souls of the nations are nurtured by other klipot. Klipas nega represents a finely balanced tension between potential good and which can also be misused and the potential evil which can also be sublimated the other three completely impure klipot are entirely evil, as explained at length in Tanya. Now, outside the land of Israel, the heavens and the earth and all they contain are, are all esteemed as truly nothing in relation to the patron angels, which are the conduits for the life force and continued existence. The patron angels themselves are esteemed as truly nothing in relation to the world force and life force issuing to them from the spark of the word of Hashem, which radiates over them from above, transcending them. And even so, the life force issuing to them from this radiation is in a state of exile within them. That is why they are called Elohim, Aharim, while they call him Hashem of the gods, since they consider themselves as deities. Therefore, in the view of their source, the nations which receive their life force through their patron angels are truly idolaters. The Torah refers to idolatry as other gods. Why would the Torah refer to idols as other gods? They're not gods. They're sticks and stones. They're, they're, they're stones and they're nothing. Why would the Torah call them other gods? Because we're talking about the life force that's internal. So since the life force is internal, that's why they can make a mistake and consider that as a god. You know, a person, a person, take your own life. So the correct way of looking at it and the correct way of understanding life, life is the greatest miracle, the most astonishing miracle. Where does life come from? It's not a mechanical event. We're not machines. We're not a battery that you plug into the wall and oh, you put a battery in and we work. We're alive. Life. You can't explain life. All the scientists in the world can't create the life of a fly. Life comes from within. Life is divine. Life is a miracle. There's no two ways about it. Any life. That's why when there's an absence of life, you have impurity because life is divine. And when life is absent, or the death, it, 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 there's a void of that miracle of life, there's a void of that divine energy that creates an impurity. Jew, Gentile, animals, every, wherever there's life, life is from within, life is divine and godly. That's the truth. That when you see life, we should be astounded, we should be astonished, and we should be, see Hashem. Sing Hashem's praises. It should connect us. It should, it should, we should feel so connected and so attached because we're alive. Where does life come from? It's a pure divine miracle. Where's life? How do you explain life? Instead, because life is so internal, I'm alive. I'm full of energy. I want life. I want to be alive. I want to be vibrant. I want to be healthy. I want to be alive. I want to... That I completely cut Hashem out of the picture. I'm alive. As if life is an entity in itself. I celebrate my life. I celebrate my ego. I celebrate my existence, my life, my vitality and my passion and my talent and my creativity and my being and my presence and my ego and my per personality and my character. So the very life, which is divine and godly, becomes a source of idolatry. I'm self-sufficient. I'm independent. I don't need God. What, what do you mean you're independent? You don't need God. What, who, this independence, this, your whole life is God. What, what do you mean? But it's because the divine energy is our life. 
and it sustains us and animates us and we identify with it so much until we forget Hashem and we own it. It's my life. It's my life. I'm alive. My life. So that's why it's called Elohim Acherim. It's because Elohim, because it's Hashem, the divine energy that's invested within us, the life force that's invested within us, that it becomes so identified with us because it's so internalized and we, we, it becomes so identified with us that we completely forget about where it comes from, Hashem. Until we, it becomes an idol. We worship ourselves and we worship our life and we worship my energy and my strength. And my, uh, where does that strength and energy and talent and ability and being and existence and presence, where does that all come from? That's from within, it's divine, it's godly. But because it's so internalized, I don't sense anything godly or divine about it. I just, I own it. It's mine. But it doesn't sound so bad. It's bad if it doesn't point to Hashem. It's terrible. That's called idolatry. This divine energy, Elohim, which is divine energy that's invested in the world. The Shechina, Hashem's speech. Hashem's speech, Hashem is speaking to us. He's relating to us. He's connecting with us. He's communicating with us. He's within us. The queen is relating to her subjects. The mother is relating to her children. I'm speaking to someone. I'm talking to you. I'm communicating with you. It's a very internal, internal type of investment. I'm invested in you. And because the energy Elohim is so channeled and invested to the extent that I completely forget. <laughs> I take it for granted and I completely forget about Hashem. That's the first thing it's my system. mind. That's the first thing in the chakras in the morning. Blessed is he who spoke. Right. That's the essence of everything. That's, yeah, the beginning of the Torah. Beginning, God creates the world. That's the essence of everything. Then we go about our business. And, uh, That's, <laughs> so that, it's, not, so it's not just the Torah is just using a uh, euphemism, other gods. The Torah is explaining. How is it possible for us to, 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 to come to such a place, other gods? It, beco- it comes from the name Elohim. Because we're talking about the divine energy that's invested, Malchus, the Shechina that's invested within us. So it becomes so identified with us until we completely forget. And suddenly, all I sense is me, myself, and I. And I attribute all my strength and all my energy and all my life to myself. I'm a self-made man. Is that why it's plural? That's why it's plural. Because Hashem, it's talking about the level of the divine, the Shekhinah that's invested, so it's very internalized. Every creature, every entity has its own unique energy, its own unique life, because it's invested within each and every one of us and it fits every one of us in a unique way. So therefore, since it's so individualized, so customized, so much so that, it, that I identify with it so much that I completely become oblivious to Hashem, to the godliness and suddenly it becomes I, I, idolatry. I, I worship myself. I'm a self-made man. I don't need God. I'm moving. I'm alive. What do you mean you're moving? We can't make the slightest movement without, without life. The body is nothing. And where does life come from? It's purely God. It's the greatest miracle, life. But everyone looks at life and we look at ourselves and we don't even think twice. People go through their whole life and don't even stop to think for a moment that it's divine and it's godly. It's ego, arrogance. They have a saying for that. When I say they, I mean the Goyim word. Familiarity breeds contempt. Correct. We're so familiar with it that... Uh, Not only contempt, contempt would be good. <laughs> contempt means I'm relating to it. I'm angry. I'm contempt. It's completely irrelevant. God is completely out of the picture. It is the most difficult state of consciousness to attain, to, to totally nullify yourself relative to the creative power, relative to the Shekinah, relative to everything that comes down. Right. Because True. of all of these True. things that you have to go through that force you get closer to it. True. But the truth is, it's also the most natural thing. If you really, if you thought about it, if you really understood it, life, where does life come from? I mean, life, what does a person want? Everyone wants life and passion and, and vitality. And, yeah. But where does that come from? It comes from the source of life. It comes from Hashem. 
it's so clear, it's so obvious, it's so self-evident. If, if we felt that, you know, Hashem is within us. What do you mean? I'm, I have to look for Hashem. I, have to, I don't have to go to the mountaintop. <laughs> I'm alive. Hashem is right here. How do you explain the miracle of life? But it's such a disconnect. Yeah, but that's what we're here for tonight. Isn't that the purpose? Well, this is what davening is about. Right? This is what, and this is what the Tanya illuminates. See, it's so, it's so profound. Elokim achenim. It's not the Torah is just using words, calling false gods. Why are you using God's name? Elokim achenim. They're not gods. They're empty. They're nothing. It's an illusion. It's a lie. But he's explaining. It's precisely the true Elokim, the divine energy that's so invested in the world in such an internal way, to the extent that we identify with it and it becomes mine. Paro said, I'm a self-made man. I don't know God. I'm a self-made man. I don't need God. Because Hashem is so, is so within us and so, we're so invested in us in such an internal way that we just, oh, I'm moving on my own. Look, I'm moving, I'm alive. I'm... I have to ask you a question. This will stay with me all night, but tomorrow... The, the truth is that, you know, tomorrow is uh, it's a different thing. Well, well... I just don't know. Uh, right? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, that's why we have to daven every day to remind ourselves. But women don't daven. They do. Because they're they superior do. to men. That's also true. But you they may be right. I know you're joking, <laughs> but you may be right. <laughs> Uh, but the, so their, their davening is shorter than us because, right, because they don't need that uh, so much more. That's why they don't need the yarmulke and they don't need a lot of the reminders that we need. Tefillin and, but, but the, neshama, the neshama, listen, if you learn this even once and you have this insight even once in your life, it's going to leave an impression forever and ever. You'll never be the same. Like, it's like once you know two plus two is four and you understand that, there's no going back. You can't, you can never understand two plus two is five. Once you understand, you have this insight that Alter Rebbe is giving us here. There's no going back. You look, you look at the whole. You look at everything differently. Therefore, in view of this, so as the nations which receive their life force through their patron angels are truly idolaters, but only until the time of the end, until the time of the imminent redemption, when death and the Sitra Akra, the other side, the unholy aspect of the universe, will be swallowed up. Till Mashiach comes. Mashiach will come. When all evil will be swallowed up, there won't be any ego anymore. The world will become... People won't be egotistical. What's Mashiach? Could you imagine a world there's no ego? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> this world will be a paradise. No 99%... Ego, get rid of your ego. <laughs> Today, 99% of human misery all comes from ego. People don't talk to... Siblings don't talk to each other. Families are broken up. Business partners cheat each other. Um, communities, communities, communities don't talk to each other. Nations go to war. It's all ego, arrogance, ego. People are miserable. People are angry, and people are upset. And people are. We create our own misery. Create our own hell on earth. If people were egoless, people were loving and kind and good and genuine, authentic, and this world would be a paradise. Can you imagine? That's the world of Mashiach. When people will get over themselves and get beyond themselves and, and Hashem will become so self-evident and so obvious and so tangible and so real that, that you know, people will be so consumed with godliness that they'll, they'll, they'll forget about themselves. And once people forget about themselves, people are very pleasant. People could be very pleasant. <laughs> it may come as a surprise that people can actually be a lot of fun. They're very pleasant. If only they get over their ego and get over their slights and their this and that. And, you know, you know, everyone's stepping on eggshells and you know, you insulted me here and you looked at me this way and you, you said this to me. But um, so this is, this is the world when Mashiach will come till the t- end of time, till the time when evil and death which results from, from, from ego and from this disconnect will come to an end. And then, at that time, God promises... At that time, God promises... 
Then shall I make the nations pure of speech, so that they will all call upon the name of God. The Alter Rebbe now returns to the theme of the divine spark in exile. This sustenance of idolaters through the divine spark is also called the exile of the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is there. The Shekhinah is creating us. The Shekhinah is sustaining us. It's the divine energy that's within us, that's creating us and sustaining us. And because it's so internal, it gets distorted and disconnected until they become idolatrous, completely egotistical, completely self-sufficient. I'm a self-made man. I don't need God. I'm not for, I'm not against, completely irrelevant. So that's Golos HaShchina. That's what, that's what the true meaning of exile is. When you're in exile, you're there, but you can't express yourself. You're like in prison. You're exiled. You're exiled from your home. You're exiled. You can't, you, you lose your freedom. You don't have the freedom to live as you please, to express yourself as you wish. You're locked up. You're in exile. You're in exile, literally. You're in prison. You're in exile. So the Shechina is there. The Shechina is within, within us. Active, vibrant, alive. And yet, can't express itself because we've completely distorted that life force and distorted that energy and distorted that reality into a completely egotistical, supposedly self-sufficient, independent reality as if we have no source and we have no root and there's no rhyme and there's no reason. I am and I exist. And that's what my life is all about. Continue my existence. Self-preservation. That's the beginning, middle, and end of all. Fame, money, power, fame, indulgence. That's what life is about. No higher purpose, no, no godly purpose, no... So this Shechina is in terrible, terrible anguish. Shechina is in terrible pain. It's present, and yet its hands are tied. Handcuffed. It's an exile. Chained. Handcuffed. Can't express itself. It's like God is in a dungeon. Lock them up can't express himself. You muzzled him, chained him. He's here, and he, he can't express himself. Do the people, in the, do the Jews in Israel have an advantage? These oh, are, these very are good. Very good. Very sharp. Because if, if you notice in the last page, he said, the heavens and the earth in the outside the land of Israel, because they received their life force from the angels, from the, uh, the patron angels, from the external, extraneous patron angels. But in Israel, that's what makes Israel the holy land, and that's why the rabbis refer to Israel as the royal palace. Israel receives its life force directly from Hashem, not through the extraneous patron angels. Hashem, it comes directly from Hashem. That's why it's called the Holy Land. It's the only piece of real estate in this world that's universally referred to as the Holy Land. Not London, not Washington, not Moscow, not Rome. There's only one place on earth that's called the Holy Land. Why is it holy? Because it receives its life force directly from Hashem. You're living in the, in the, the palace, the king's palace, the royal palace. Because it's not getting its life force through the extraneous ministering angels. We come directly from Hashem. We get everything directly from Hashem. So the land is holy. That's why in the land of Israel you have all the laws of Shemitah and sabbatical and Yevil and Jubilee because it's so crystal clear that we're living, we're at the royal table and everything that we have comes from Hashem and that's why a Jew can walk away. Seven years, every seventh year you walk away from your farm and every 50 years you give back the land. How is it possible? I own it. It's my land. I toiled, I sweated, and yet, no, it's a free-for-all because it's very easy for, in Israel because it's a holy land. It's not mine, it's Hashem. It's so clear, there's no distortion. Outside the land of Israel, you get all these distortions, all these spiritual distortions. They have many strays there, like we have also. Oh, well, like anything else. Wherever you have holy, Nachmanides describes it. Very good point, Nachmanides believes that today there's a mitzvah to move to the land of Israel. Most rabbis disagreed with him, and most rabbis voted with their feet. Most Jews live outside the land of Israel. Machmanides holds you have to live in the land of Israel. He practiced what he preached. After the famous debate, which he naturally won, he, of course, immediately expelled him from Spain. 
That was a natural response. And he moved to the land of Israel. And he writes, the Mishnah says there are ten levels of holiness in the land Who of Israel. Was he in Egypt? No, Nachmanides. Nachman. Not Maimonides. Oh, Nachman. okay. Maimonides was also in Israel. But Nachmanides. Nachmanides passed away in Israel. He moved, at the end of his life, he moved to Israel. So he writes, the Mishnah says there are ten levels of holiness. He says, each level of holiness was more barren and more destroyed than the next. The holier the holier was, the more the destruction. Because God made this world to be equally balanced. Wherever there's intense holiness, you also have the opposite. You have intense evil. The opposite of holiness. So it's precisely because Israel is so intense and Israel is so holy, that's why you have you know, nature abhors a vacuum. If you're not utilizing all that potential for holiness, you're going to end up with intense level of the opposite of holiness. That's why in Israel you can have side by side the most intense holiness and the most intense abominations. You have intense holiness and you have the most intense abomination simultaneously. Simultaneously you can have the, the holiest and the antithesis of holiness simultaneously. Because the two go hand in hand. Whenever you have such intense levels of holiness, you also have the that's opposite. Right, that's right. That's you also right. have the opposite. Extremes. The yin yang thing. One or the other. Mm. But it's precisely because it's so holy. That's why the Rahmanides describes the holier it was, the more the devastation, the more the chaos, that's the right. destruction, that's right. the total destruction. Because if that level of holiness is not realized, if you don't live up to that potential, you can't remain neutral. You know, life is like climbing a cliff. You can't take a break, a coffee break. If you're climbing, if you're climbing Mount Everest, you don't take coffee breaks in the middle. If you don't continue to climb, you're going to slide and fall very steep. So either you're climbing to the peak. So in Israel, we have... And this characterizes Jewish history in general. You have extremes. Peaks or the abyss. An exodus from Egypt or a Tishaba, a destruction. You have a six-day war, you have a Holocaust, you have a six-day war. You have Aslo or you have Mashiach. There's nothing in between. One extreme, the abyss, tragedy, tragic, or you have most intense breakthrough, the most intense miraculous event and joyful experience. That's the nature of holiness. Holiness is very powerful. It's like having a nuclear energy. You can't remain neutral. You got to utilize it. If you don't utilize it, it's going to turn into the biggest. Is it possible our teachers are not doing their job? Or where, where we, the we didn't, we're, not, we're not getting the Tanya out enough. Where's the disconnect? If people would learn Hasidus, that's, that's right. the disconnect. People don't know. We had the Hasidus. We had if, if is not an explanation. When you say if, there's got to be an explanation. We have to do whatever we're doing. We have to do it even more. And we have to get the word out. And we have to get the information out. And we've got to get the wellsprings of faith and holiness and Torah out. That's Hasidus. That's the antidote. This is the wellspring. This is what Mashiach told of Al When your wellsprings will spread to every corner of the world, that's when Mashiach is going to come. Because this is the antidote. This is the answer. There is no other answer. There's no gimmicks. But they also gave us Rebbe's. This is, this is what the Rebbe's gave us. There are no gimmicks. There's no gimmicks. This is a very real, it's very real. This is the answer. We have the answer in our hands. This is it. This is the answer. This is the antidote to all the problems. If we study Tanya and study Hasidus, we wouldn't have any of these problems, any of this confusion and, and, and darkness and chaos. And, you know, this ignites the neshama, ignites the faith, reveals the faith, strengthens us. And this gives us hope. This is our hope. This is the answer. There is no other answer. There is no other. This is it. So it's, the good news is that it's all ignorance. And you can do something about ignorance. 
That's what we're trying to do. Trying to get people excited about the Tanya, get excited about the Hasidus. And once they get hooked on Tanya, it's okay. <laughs> then, uh, you know, the lifelong students of it and go deeper into it and understand it and try to internalize it and apply it to their personal lives. And this clears up all so much nonsense, so much confusion. You know, when you have the right, uh, the right information, this, this... We may have the wrong ego. <laughs> we all have egos, but this is the antidote. This, this is uh, the... Uh, okay. The answer. The answer. This is the answer. It says, Mashiach will come. The whole world will be occupied and engaged exclusively in studying these matters, what we're learning. Chabad is an activist program. We're not waiting passively for one day the Hashem is going to turn on the light switch and we'll know all of this. And I mean, That is going to happen, but Chabad is an activist program. Judaism is an activist program. We don't wait passively. We do everything within our power today, now, to increase and to add to bring more Torah, more light, and more Hasidus, and more Yiddishkeit, one Jew, another Jew, another mitzvah, another, you know, and until we flood the world, until the world is flooded with knowledge and information, correct knowledge. There's so much distorted knowledge is out there, so, much, so many distorted ideas and distorted knowledge. Today we have to compete in the marketplace. It's a free marketplace. Anyone can sell their wares. This is Hyde Park in London. Anyone can get up in the rack and start preaching and talking. And but like oil, oil will always rise to the top. This is the oil. This is the essence. The essence always rises to the top. You put this information out there, the information age, the best information will rise to the top. You know, it's, it's natural. You, you can't help it. It's inevitable. In the information age, you don't have to Impose. You don't have to force anyone. You don't have to. It's natural. All the chaos and confusion. The, the, the right. The best information. will just. And that's 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 what Hasidus is. It's putting out the information, communicating that information, making it available, and people find it. I don't even know how people find it. People find the way to Tanya. Uh, the strangest places all over the world. Jews, non-Jews. People just find their way to it. You know, it's just. It's just if it's out there and you put it out there and uh, you know this is the oil this is the tanya the oil you put the oil the oil will always rise to the top so we're fully confident in the message and we're fully confident in the audience if you give them the right information and the right message they'll grab it and they'll run with it and so that's very optimistic. We are optimistic. Thirty. We wouldn't have survived 3,800 years if we weren't optimistic. So if we're here, we're going to finish this. We're going to get this done. Don't ask me how, what, when, where, but we're going to get it done. <laughs> the Rebbe says we're going to do it. We are the generation that's going to get it done. But he also admonished Hashem, and he said, "We do our part." Yeah, yeah. We're not. We're not letting Hashem off the hook. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. About it. Don't worry. We're not letting Hashem rest. He did say that. We're not letting Hashem rest, but we're not either resting. <laughs> we're doing both. We're doing both. We're not resting. We're not sleeping. Hopefully not letting anyone else sleep and rest. And not letting Hashem rest either. Because you're right. No matter what we do, let's be honest, we're limited. I mean, Hashem has to take it to the next level. We plant a seed, but Hashem turns the seed into this beautiful tree. Whatever we're doing, we're planting a seed. But it's up to Hashem to take the seed and to explode, make it explode into something unbelievable. And this little tiny seed, you end up with this huge, luscious tree. So, of course, we're not letting Hashem off the hook. Hashem, you know, we're doing our part. And it's, we're praying to Hashem. Listen, we're doing the best that we can do and even better than we can do. Now, you do what you can do. Show us what you can do on a global scale in a way that wakes up, wakes us all up, wakes up the whole world, and people should get it, listen. When the whole world starts learning Tanya, 
you know, everyone, 20 years ago, everyone talked about Kabbalah. You're learning Kabbalah, not Kabbalah. And then when the world will start learning Hasidus, and the whole world will start getting into Tanya. You know, and all the billionaires and the Hollywood stars and, and all the leaders of the country and the whole leaders and all the start. Did you learn Tanya yet? Everyone is starting to learn a little Hasidus. Then it, you know, it will explode. Most Jews don't know what Tanya is. Yeah, right. They think it's a name. <coughs> <laughs> but they learn to Kabbalah classes, which they don't know. Nobody could understand that. That's, that's our challenge. That's, we have to get the word out. We're full of hope, full of optimism. We're, this is an activist program. Roll up your sleeves. Invite your friend to study Hasidus. Today it's so easy. A phone app. A website, a phone app. Friends, family. Get them hooked on Hasidus. I mean, that's really the answer. I mean, this is it. This is, uh, this is the answer. What do you think the Rebbe published for close to 7,000 Tanyas? He said every Jew in the world should study Hasidus and be excited about learning Hasidus not just studying it as another job another chore it's not a chore this is a delight it's a pleasure it's, a, it's eye-opening it's, 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 this is exactly what we're looking for it's exactly what the doctor ordered it's exactly what we need so, so and we well, pray to Hashem that Hashem should do his part and uh, to be so, continued this class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.